Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership and practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Now that we're officially finished our first season, we've decided to spice things up a little bit over the summer for your listening enjoyment. So every two weeks, we're releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, but in long form, so we can share even more delicious insights with you. The secret good stuff that you didn't get to hear. So listen in, grab a margarita. No, no, that's awful. Awful sounding and probably tasting too. Okay, okay. Grab a dakirie. Enjoy some easy breezy listening by the poolside with your favorite podcast hosts and let us know what you think in the review section. On this glorious day, we've decided to release our interview with Amy Hall, founder of Goldilocks Goods, from our fifth episode, Founders Keepers, Part 1. Amy recently won Visa's Women in Business grant and was a top 10 finalist for TELUS's Innovative New Startup Award. Her sustainable products can be found across the country in Indigo stores. She's been featured in Chatelaine Magazine and has been prominently showcased by TV personality Jillian Harris. This one was really special. Amy was our very first employee at PB&J, our e-com agency. Now, she's done all the hard work to get where she is today, and we're so proud of her. But we like to dream that maybe we'll have a footnote in her memoir one day. We chat all about heart-centered leadership, what that really means, and the need, especially as founders, to set boundaries within our work. Let's dig in. So my name's Amy Hall, and I'm the founder of Goldilocks Wraps here in Victoria, BC. Nice. And it isn't like a, like a wrap company? Yes. Like- I forget that I often need to clarify this, especially when people can't see what it is that you know, we're discussing. Um, but no, Spin it's a, yeah, we make reusable beeswax wraps. So it's an uh, eco-friendly alternative to plastic wrap in the kitchen, but also lots of other uses as well. We've seen people get pretty creative with them, but that's the core of what we do. We've started to expand into some new products, but the beeswax wraps are really our foundation. And does anybody wear them as beanies? I've never seen anyone wear them as beanies. I have seen people use them as bike covers to keep them from getting their seat wet when it's been raining outside. That's one of the more creative ones, for sure. Okay, so we're talking about founder-led companies today. That's why we wanted to chat with you. So first question on our mind, and it's not leading at all, but... What are the ways that you feel that founder-led brands have a unique edge in the world today? It's sort of when you're the founder, and I can mostly only speak from my own experience, obviously, but when you're the one that's running the company and you're the one that started the company as well, it really does become like your baby. You know, you really want to nurture it. You want to grow it. You really want to see like your full vision 
down the line. So I think there's a lot more kind of like emotional or personal connection. Some people might see that as a positive thing. Some people might see it as a negative thing. I think personally think that that's a positive thing. I think that business is also moving towards like a more heart-centered form of like leadership and how you interact with your customers. Not to say that if there's not a founder-led companies out there that, you know, are capable of doing that. I think there's just such a more connected way of interacting with whether it's your staff or your customers when it is the founder that's kind of like leading the way from that place. Maybe circle around that a little bit more. I mean, you'd even mentioned maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. What's great about that? What does it feel like to work on and nurture your baby? It's a lot of work, (laughs) first of all. I don't think that, you know, people aren't always aware of how much work it's going to be. I've had conversations with people who are interested in maybe like founding their own company, but aren't quite there yet. And they think, you know, I'm going to start it. And then in five years, I'm going to be completely hands off and I'm going to walk away. I think that's like sort of the air quotes dream sometimes for a lot of people. But the reality is, is I don't know if you're ever able to walk away from something like that, that you founded yourself. And if you're continually growing and you really care about your mission and what it is that you're doing. So I would say that it can be, in terms of what it feels like, can be quite draining. Again, because when you're very emotionally invested in something, it can take a toll on you sometimes. There's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows. And not being able to separate sometimes your like personal or home life from work. You know, there's at five o'clock at the end of the day, you could just go home and you could be at home. And then that was like the end of your thinking about your job for the day. When you're a founder, you're, I don't know if your brain is ever really off. You know, it could be something as simple as like me being out at a grocery store and then you see something and you're like, oh, maybe we should do something like this for a display or maybe, oh, I really like that print and I'll take a photo or, you know, really taking to heart those like conversations when you get um, comments on ads and things like that, that, you know, maybe if it was more of like an employee mindset, you would just kind of like deal with it and move on and then you don't think about it again. I have a bit of a habit to like overthink <laughs> things from time to time. Um, so I'd say that's sort of more maybe some of the, not necessarily negative side, but I would just say it's a reality that I think more and more people are talking about, but I don't think in the past was maybe something that people would talk about as openly in terms of like the struggles that they go through or those kind of like, you know, ups and downs from a more emotional perspective. But on the, on the plus side, it's also just like where I think so much joy comes from and within the company, within the staff, within like the interactions that we get with the community and our customers and everything as well. And I think that they feel that, you know, there is yeah. just this like innate sense of that coming across when you are really passionate and really believe in what it is that you're doing. And for us, it's to help reduce single use plastics. It's a pretty big topic to try and tackle, which can also be really disheartening at times, um, but also really enlightening to so many people and kind of like feeling like we're sort of leading this little online army, you know, to kind of like help do better and be more aware. I was just thinking about this. This is like a really selfish question because I spent a whole night dreaming about some situations, some strategy stuff. I woke up, I felt like I worked through my dreams on the problems, which I'm I'm not sure I did, but it felt like that in the morning because I was still thinking about it. I sense maybe that's like a similar experience that you have, or is this kind of what you're saying? Maybe not the dreaming bit, but you're kind of, it's always in your mind. Is there ways that you've like worked through some of that, like letting go or disconnecting? I totally understand what you're talking about, where you 
dream about whatever it is, you know, that your issue it is or things that are happening at work and you wake up in the morning feeling like you spent the last like eight hours in the office and then you have to get up and go into work and you're like a little bit extra tired that day. I'd say my hobbies lately, um, quite specifically too, since COVID started, obviously working from home a lot more, it's harder, I think, for everybody to have that kind of disconnect or that level of separation. So I've kind of had to tweak, I think, a lot of the things that I was doing in the past. So in the past, I was doing a lot of yoga and I found that to be quite helpful. But what I found helpful was going and engaging within that activity in the studio because you hear like the breath of everybody and just like that kind of atmosphere. Whereas trying to do yoga at home is incredibly difficult for me anyways. I know a lot of people do it. I just, you know, will be in like downward facing dog and then you see something on the counter and you're like, wow, I really need to clean that. Like it's really hard to get (laughs) into that like mental state. So for me, I've kind of taken up a few hobbies. So one of them is free diving. I really got into that over the summer. I took a course for anybody who doesn't know what free diving is. It's essentially kind of like scuba diving, but you're using your own air. So you're going down, you're coming back up. But it's a very like meditative style experience because you actually can't focus on anything else other than what you're doing. Because if you stop paying attention to your depth or if you stop paying attention to how long you've been under the water, you're like, oh, I might not get back to the surface right before <laughs> in I time. Yeah. Um, I'm making it sound way more daunting than it actually is. It's um, just this, I've always loved the water and being in the water for me has always been kind of like this really good way to kind of detach and de-stress. Um, so throwing in a lot of the breath work that you learn throughout doing these like courses, because it's essentially teaching you to how to be able to hold your breath for longer and just all the science that goes into that, I also find really fascinating. So kind of having a hobby that I'm continuing to like learn at because it's something that's very new and continue to like expand upon. That's been something where it's really great where I can kind of focus my learning or focus my energy, focus my physical time. Um, And just getting out in nature as well, like getting out of the house. We have some really beautiful spots here with even within an hour. And it's one of those things where often we go early in the morning and the day before I'm quite regularly thinking to myself, what am I, why are, I don't know if I want to go tomorrow morning. It's cold out. Like I'd rather just stay home. And then every time after we do a dive, I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that I got out and that I did this today. And you see the cool, sometimes you go and see amazing things. Sometimes, you know, you don't bump into too much, but regardless, it's always just like a great experience and a really good way to disconnect and kind of like, yeah, get myself out of my head. Um, my yo- past yoga instructor used to always say, you know, get out of your head and into your body. And I think for me, those kinds of activities are a really great way to like force myself to do that. I always say, get out of my dreams and into my car. But <laughs> maybe that's just a song. Yep, that's it. So uh, kind of on the crushing darkness of being alone under the water with no air, which sounds thrilling, um, drawing it back to your role, do you ever, because you've sort of mentioned that, that, that that feeling in that context is refreshing, it's renewing, it's calming and relaxing. Do you ever feel, though, alone in your role within the company that you have this seat of solitude sometimes and, and why or why not? Is it, is it something that you feel? So I have been very lucky 
in the sense that um, my, I have a business partner and we're very close and we were actually friends before we started working together. Ironically, he's also my dive buddy. So when you go out free diving together, you don't ever go by yourself. Um, you always have somebody who's safetying for you. So him and I go out together. And so if I'm at the surface, he would be the one that's below the water and I follow him along. And that way, if anything goes wrong, there's somebody there. Same thing for when you come to the surface and then you, you know, stop for a second, you switch, you do your breathing and then swap out, which is funny that this is the question that you've asked, because I feel like that's also a very good like analogy for the way that we function together in the business as well. We met very early on in the business phase. It was right after I had moved to Victoria. We'd become such good friends. And and the way that we work together, he's described it quite frequently as a bit of a yin and yang relationship. So all of the things that I am terrible at and also hate doing, he is really wonderful at and loves and vice versa. So there's just this like really great symbiotic relationship. And I think because we had formed like a really close like friendship connection too, we've been able to support each other from that perspective as well throughout this journey. Like there's been times where, you know, I've been having a meltdown because, you know, the like many business owners in the first few years of businesses, you don't always get paid, you know, and thinking like, do I need to have another job or going through whatever that kind of like inner turmoil is and always being knowing that I can reach out to him and we can have that conversation. And he's really good at help bringing me back to center. And I hope that, you know, I'm able to do the same thing for him when we just have those conversations as well. So I think I'm in a fairly unique position because I know not everybody has that dynamic of a partner in their business partner. And not, it's not always great. Like, you know, people don't, I mean, I know you and Kyle have obviously been, I think you kind of have like a similar relation in that sense and that you guys are also really great friends. But I do think that that's like more rare and also very unique and can actually backfire for a lot of people. So I, I just feel very lucky in that sense. I mean, there's still times that I think, you know, as humans, we all feel lonely kind of regardless and you kind of get in your own head about, oh, these are only my problems, which is why I think it's always great to kind of talk about them. And and there is a really great community as well of entrepreneurs in Victoria that are all kind of like in their thirties and there's it, they're all just so supportive as well. It's not a competitive environment. So I feel like a lot of the friends that I have out here have gone through a lot of those things. So just knowing sometimes, yeah, that you're not the only one that's been like dealing with this problem. And in the past pre COVID, you know, we would go, I'd say, Hey, let's go for coffee. I just need to like vent about this, or I'm curious to hear about how you deal with your newsletters or like whatever the topic is. Now it's more of like, let's have cocktails on zoom. But yeah, so that's just to sort of sum it up is that I understand why I think a lot of other people, when I speak to them, do feel very kind of lonely on this journey. And I'm quite thankful that, you know, I've surrounded myself with a community as well as a partner that allows me to not feel like that, which is great. So you, you'd sort of mentioned that you have that relationship and, and kind of how, how you're feeling really does or can impact sort of what's going on. You have that support, that founder community around you, which is great. So look outside of that group, though. Any of your non-founder CEO contemporaries, what are some of the differences or the responsibilities that you feel that maybe some of your contemporaries don't understand? Like what actions that do you have that really shape the outcome of the company because of the responsibility that you feel that, that maybe other non-founder CEOs might not? So this is funny. I actually can't think of anybody that I know currently 
that's running a business that wasn't also the founder. That's just like, I think, to goes to show like how like deep that community is here. Um, so in some ways, I feel like all I can do off the top of my head is sort of make some assumptions <laughs> about what that experience is like. I almost can't see, you know, the forest for the trees, I think, in that kind of a, of a scenario where I'm like, wow, what would that be like? If the, does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense. I also find it fascinating. Here's another way to frame it. If you sold Goldilocks tomorrow and uh, another company was like, Amy, now that you're done with that, you need to come lead this company. Come CEO of this company. Going into that role, how would you see yourself? Like now that you didn't found that company, what, what would it change? I think the biggest thing that would probably change in terms of my mindset more than anything is I feel like there's a lot of ways in which I would show up the same. Cause if I'm going to do something, obviously I want to do it well. And you know, any place that I've also worked for in the past felt very passionate about and really wanted to kind of like show up in that way of like, I'm invested in this and sort of having more of that like owner's mindset, even though you're, you're still technically an employee. But I would say that the biggest shift now after having actually like run my own company would probably just be having more boundaries in terms of what your job description actually is and the things that you're willing to take on and the things that you're willing to say no to and what you're willing to delegate. I think there's sort of a sense of obligation, not, and, and this is sort of comes from myself, not necessarily a sense of obligation that comes from anybody else putting that on me, is that you kind of feel like you need to take care of everything because you've gone through the whole process. So as you grow a business in the beginning, you are literally the only person, at least in my case, we're a product-based business. I was the only one making everything. I was the one going to all the markets. Like you're wearing all the hats. And as you grow, you don't have to wear as many hats, but sometimes they're, they're hats that you liked and you're like, not quite ready to let go. And you're like, maybe I'm just going to hang the hat on the wall for a while or whatever, <laughs> you know? And it's like, really, you just need to pass that hat along to somebody else, but it can be hard to do that or it can be hard to say no because you feel like, well, I'm the owner. I should work the extra hours, not somebody else, or I should just take care of this. So I think that that would be the biggest difference maybe in terms of there being perhaps more boundaries in your work role, hopefully. <laughs> I love that word. Like, obviously, we, we've got some thoughts and experience on it, but I think that's the first time for me that's been articulated that way or that clearly in self-reflection moment. In a lot of ways in my life, I don't have a lot of boundaries, but for sure at work, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good challenge. I mean, when you first start out, depending on what size your business is, you might not have that as an option. So that's also, I think, a, the root of where a lot of that stems from is in some ways, it's a bit of a privilege as you see, you know, more and more growth within your company that you're able to start delegating those things. Um, and those for me are often my biggest like aha moments within like, oh, like not like we made it moments, but kind of, you know, um, I remember one of them being like when we first had a customer who purchased from us online and it was actually a name that I didn't recognize and nobody that was working with us at the time. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't my mom. It wasn't like a friend from back home. It wasn't like, you know, somebody else's aunt within the company. It was like, wow, we've reached our first like outsider. So for me, that was like a big aha moment. And then more, more lately it's been as we've been able to hire more people and I, it's awesome, but it's also very scary you know, that was also another aha moment where I'm like, wow, I feel like we've really made it. I finally got like a full-time position. And this is something that is like very directly related to the role that I've, been, I've taken on in the last sort of like two years. So 
it's exciting, but it's also scary. And again, trying to put those boundaries in place where I finally got to a point where I said, no, I can't do all of this anymore by myself. So like a really good reflection on that. If I was to go somewhere else, if Amy was to go somewhere else, I'd put more boundaries. If we know as founders, like that's the right thing to do. That's the thing that like people would pay us the big bucks to do is to actually get out of the way, to delegate more, to find good people. And we know that, but then we come back to our own companies. We're like, but, 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 but that's not, that's not for me. Like what gets in the way? I'd say for me personally, it's probably a combination. I'd say for most people as well, probably a combination of some kind of control as well as maybe what? just a little bit, <laughs> you know, like you don't want to send your baby out into the world. That's very scary. <laughs> um, and potentially a little bit of guilt as well. Like um, I know that that's something that I internally struggle with a lot. I think it's that sort of like if you're a bit of an A, not even A-type personality, but a bit of an overachiever. I've been yeah. called a perfectionist in the past, those kinds of things. So often have that feeling like you're not doing enough or you could always be doing more. I think especially as a founder, your to-do list is just never done. Like that's one thing that I've just had to accept. It's incredibly frustrating where you're like, it would be so nice to just work on a one project in a day, finish that project and like go home and then like do that again the next day. Amen. That never really happens. <laughs> it's just this, you know, never ending to-do list. Yeah, I think for me, there's a little bit of guilt where I'm like, I want to do more. I want to do as much as I can. And then recognizing that that's like my own, that's my own problem. That's nobody else's problem. No one else is telling me that I need to be doing more. You know, it's like a societal thing. You know, it's this weird kind of existential like society with a capital S, you know, and you're like, where does this come from? Why do I feel it's that like the busyness? I remember you guys were talking about that on one of your other podcasts. And it's like, yeah, we did. That's not beneficial. You know what I mean? That doesn't help anybody. Um, but so I'd say that that's like the underlying cause. But I think the like the main overarching, and I think this would apply for a lot of people as well, is that not wanting to relinquish that control. I've been able to do it, but I've had to go through sort of unconscious processes, I think, to be able to get to a stage where I'm like, where I feel comfortable doing that. It starts with recognizing that it needs to happen and then kind of coming up with a plan and then like sitting with it and then kind of just finally putting some of those actions in place and and finding the right people. I think sometimes when you find the right person, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not scared of making this leap anymore. I feel, I, I don't know, maybe I don't know you that well yet, but I trust you and I trust your skills. It's funny because I don't like relinquishing control and giving up certain things, or it's like sometimes a little bit difficult. But once I do, I'm like, it's all yours. <laughs> I don't like to micromanage. I feel like we often within our company too, we tell our managers this, like, it's very much a, like, we'll throw problems at you and we expect you to kind of like take it and roll with it and figure it out. Like, I'm not going to micromanage how you decide to do that. So yeah, once I find somebody or we find staff, whether it's production staff or managers or like social media, it's very much a like, all right, this is your baby now. And I expect you to treat this the same way that I do. And I'm here to help you and I'm here to guide you and I'm here to answer questions. But you know, at the end of the day, this is now like your responsibility. And I'm kind of able to like, it's like once I've made that decision, it's like I do a total 180 in some ways. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got here. This is yours. That's good though. What you said is so, so key, right? It's helping people kind of take take that and make it their their baby and give that guidance. And And if you just keep making it your baby, then no one else can be the baby daddy. <laughs> <laughs> That analogy works though. It 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 really is 
true, rightly or wrongly. And if I've learned anything from my mother, it is that there's a great amount of, I think, pride and relief when like your kid goes off to school out on their own, you know, they, they set out on a path and make a life for themselves. And there are things that can be accomplished that would have never been, you know, when, when they're kind of in this infancy stage, but the job's never done. You're never truly. And and I think like, this is a real moment. Yeah. You, you might have that ah, moment of, I got somebody to take this role over, but let's be honest, like we're never truly comfortable, never truly feeling a hundred percent secure or not worried or your job's never really done. So if your job's never done and your list never finished and you're never really comfortable, but that's maybe actually the strength in it all. So how do you take what others might see as a weakness like that? How do you take that and turn it into a strength, a, a legacy for, for the brand? Yeah, I think that sort of what you're saying is that getting to that place where you're comfortable being uncomfortable is like a big part of running a business because things are always evolving Things are always changing. And like you said, some of those things might on the surface level sound really negative or or like a weakness. But I think that that is so much at the core, I think, of like an evolving business and something that's going to be like creative and innovative and something that is going to create a more lasting legacy and being able to move forward and, and adapt and solve problems and not just within the business, but for people. You know, we're a product based business. So our goal is to essentially help solve some kind of problem in in people's lives that is plastic free. That's like sort of the caveat of what we do. And I know Brett and I have had these conversations as well where, you know, oftentimes in other places of business or you hear this from other people when in different environments, they'll go and they'll ask their boss or somebody, you know, why, why are we doing this that way? And the response is often, well, that's the way we've always done it. And like, oh, that just always makes my heart cringe. And I'm, and to me, and I think, and to Brett as well, that is often, in our opinions, like the sign that that business is not going to last. Like if you're ever responding within a business with that kind of an answer, it's sort of just like, wow, you are not able to adapt. You're not able to kind of like redirect what it is that your company is doing. I feel like you're maybe not staying on top of like what's actually going on in the world, these like critical topics, things that are changing, you know, and evolving, whether it's like from, you know, retail shops to e-commerce or all of these kind of different dynamics. Whereas when you are in that place where you are a little more, I just want to say like comfortable being uncomfortable, it just seems like those transitions all of a sudden are so a little bit easier. Like transitions are always difficult. But I think that it just, you're more on your toes. You're a little bit more engaged. If somebody within a company is saying, well, that's the way we've already done it. To me, you've kind of like disengaged from whatever it is that like passion or mission or whatever it is that you're doing um, or you're disengaged from your customers even. So I think that that's been really big for us. We're always trying to kind of like move forward and innovate and like expand in We've failed a lot <laughs> in the in doing so. Um, there's no kind of like risk that doesn't come without like the chance of failure. But I think that the way that we've always kind of looked at things is in a very much a like I almost like a theater mindset in that the show must go on. You know, like that's something that we talk about quite often. So 
whether it's like a minor problem or something as major as like having to shut down for two weeks during COVID, it was never a panicky conversation that we had between the two of us. It was always, okay, so this happened. This is out of our control. How do we feel about it? And what are we going to do about it? And what are the pros and what are the cons? And it was, again, that show must go on. Like, we're not just going to, if you just stay in a state of panic, that doesn't help anybody. So you can still panic, you can still have meltdowns, but at the end of the day, you need to like figure out how, you know, what is the problem? How could we move forward? And I'd say that, yeah, from small things to big things, that's kind of the approach that we try to take. So I'd say that that's one of the biggest benefits of what we were talking about earlier, potentially being a negative. So in the tough times, when you're kind of like needing to have this rapid resilience and be okay to fail. And then in the good times when it's like, you need to push yourself, what's the founder factor in that? What I mean by that is like, like the first thing that comes to mind is like, you know, when you've got these big failures in a founder like company, I think the perception is, well, they're the founder, they can fail as big as they want. They're not going to go anywhere. Whereas if you were a non-founder CEO, it's like, well, the board's going to kind of like, you know, too many failures, you're out. Do you think there's a founder factor that plays into both the bad times and the good times? For me, there was always this sense of, you know, this is going to be okay. We're going to work through this, you know, in terms of like the, the more negative times. And the first thing I thought of was we're not going to go anywhere. But that to me, and I had maybe not even recognized it until you kind of elaborated on it, is definitely a founder's thought process or that founder factor. Because if you were a CEO in that situation, you might be thinking, well, if I don't find a way to fix this, I'm going to lose my job. Whereas I never had that thought process. So it was easier for us to shift. And I'm talking about like COVID specifically when we shut down, just because that seems to be, you know, obviously. But going through those kind of two weeks when we were shutting down, that's just like where my mind went to and what I was thinking about when you were talking about that. And that was the, my thought process was, well, you know, like we're going to get through this. We're not going to go anywhere and was able to kind of pivot. And we ended up thinking a lot less about long-term goals and, and, and sales. And we were like, how can we help our customers at this point in time? And maybe if you were a CEO and you were somebody who, who wasn't a founder, like you said, you have that accountability to the board. And at the end of the day, depending on the company that might be, you know, their main focus might be the, the bottom line and those numbers, which ultimately like, just is a whole different kind of mentality to go into a situation like that it creates a lot more fear. Right. And I think that there would probably be a lot more fear in a situation like that, because like you said, I'm always going to be the founder. I'm not going to go anywhere unless I choose to. So there is, I think, a lot more freedom in that sense to kind of take a step back from things like the bottom line or, you know, having to report to a board or those types of things. And you can really just say, put a pause on sales. That doesn't matter right now. We're going to focus on building our community and like reaching out to people and like, how are, what are the things we can do to help, you know, in as much as we can in this kind of like online world that we're living in. And being able to reach out to people and, and feel that connection and be kind of like a beacon of hope was sort of what we were hoping to be in those times was, you know, let's have a really positive messaging. How can we like engage with our, you know, everybody's scared right now. This was the beginning of the pandemic and no one knows what's going to happen and no one could have predicted what had happened. And what can we do to bring a sense of like positivity and ease in all of this like kind of negative and uncertainty and I've seen other companies do the same thing that aren't necessarily founder-led. So obviously they've created a really awesome environment to also be able to do that. So I don't think it's not impossible to do in a non-founder-led company. I think that it is just um, 
much easier mentality to slip into, even subconsciously, like that wasn't a conscious, you know what I mean? It just, that was the way that I'm able to operate because I have that freedom. Um, I don't have a board. I don't have all of these kinds of things. It really, the accountability at the end of the day comes to myself. So what feels right in my heart, you know, I have to answer to myself at the end of the day. It's a very different kind of role. Yeah. And that, that safety and security is very powerful. So I would suspect that there are founders out there that maybe don't always feel that way. I also suspect there are founders out there that having that mentality, but as you'd said, you know, you use yours for, for bringing hope and light and like future. There are probably some that, that don't maybe have that idea. And and so that security actually becomes uh, an anchor where this leader can't get past themselves. The brand can't get past what they're enclosing in this security of, well, I'm not going anywhere, so this is the way it is. So what would be your advice to founders? Maybe, you know, they're not in that spot. Maybe they are. Maybe they maybe they have a tendency to, to go that way. But how do we use this? this safety, security, and power of we're not going anywhere, but how do we make sure that it's always pointed at hope, at future, at doing a greater good and not at holding back the very thing or the very people that are part of this vision we're trying to grow? Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's safety and security can become a bit of a comfort zone, right? For some people is kind of what you're saying, I think. And how do you get people to reach outside of that? Because we all love comfort and safety and security. Um, so kind of what, what's the reward of stepping outside of that comfort zone or that like safety and security, right? I think that that's, there has to be a goal, you know, whether it's for some people, it might be personal growth for other people. It might be, you know, the greater good and wanting to, you know, create a better world or leave a better world. Maybe it's for their children. I mean, we obviously work in the, you know, environmental and like sustainable living world. So that's a big common theme. You know, why would I step outside of my comfort zone or go out of my way to do these things that are kind of like maybe a pain or whatever? And and often it will come down to, you know, looking outside of yourself. I think that that's the first step. And then the second part of that is, yeah, looking to a future, I think. You know, you kind of get these blinders on. I think if you're in that comfort zone of safety and security and not wanting to, you know, you're a leader and you're like, at that point, I would say you're probably just trying to preserve yourself yeah. if that's the mentality that you have. And it's probably very much like a fear-based mentality of not wanting to go outside of that comfort zone. But hopefully, you know, if you really think about it, it would provide a sense, that sense of security should open up some doors for freedom. And so to think of it that way, as opposed to, oh my gosh, this is something that I don't want to lose. Like, well, this isn't something that people can necessarily take away from you. This is just a choice that you're making. And and hopefully to, yeah, think outside of yourself. And like, I think at a certain point, you need to not just be in that self-preservation mode and you should be thinking about what are the things that I can do, whether it's for your team, especially, you know, if you're a leader and you're a CEO, I would hope that that's sort of maybe your first stopping point is think outside of yourself to your team and what can you do to help them? How is a potential risk or failure on your part going to benefit them in the long run or, you know, whatever that kind of is, it's, you need to kind of look to the end. I think of like, why? I mean, it's always... I think is it Simon Sinek, the look to your why, <laughs> you know, is always like 
repeated quite regularly. But I think that that would be a good way to kind of get outside of that box that maybe a leader or CEO has like put themselves in is, you know, what is, what is your vision? What is your legacy that you want to leave? What is your purpose? Those kinds of things. Well, just like your name, there was a lot of gold in what you just said. (laughs) So yeah, thank you for that. I think that's a a beautiful encouragement and also a challenge to, to founders of, of companies, new experience. I think we all need that kick in the butt. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing your, your journey and your wisdom and your humor and for putting up with our, with our puns. Thanks, Tom. I love the puns. There's always room for a pun, as they say. Uh, we always have a pun in the oven. Pun in the oven. There it is. There it is. Sun's out, puns out. Sun's out, puns nope. out. <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's, uh, on that that's all I've got for, for today, Amy. Thank you. Good. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. As founders, it's easy to get caught up in our own seat of solitude. That's why it's so important to surround ourselves with people who are going through similar journeys as we are. For Amy, she managed to create strong relationships with her co-founder and local community of entrepreneurs to help her stay level-headed. Progressing in your business can also equate to setting more boundaries Amy mentioned that although we may love wearing certain hats as entrepreneurs, we need to know when it's time to hang them up. And don't feel guilty about hanging up a particular hat. As founders, our to-do list will never be finished, so celebrating the small wins is key to staying motivated. And we should really be looking for jobs to actually fire ourselves from. You're fired! Amy, thank you so much for sharing your recipes for success with us. In the meantime, we're currently deciding which spicy interview to share with you next. Make sure to tune back in on September 2nd to find out who it is. And lastly, if you liked this episode and you want to support us, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. You know you want to. Until next time, this has been a dash of Tom. And a pinch of Kyle. And a splash of Amy? (laughs) We'll be cooking with you in two weeks. (laughs) 